What's going on, Love Tribe? Welcome to today's show. Thank you for tuning in. We have a one-of-a-kind interview for you today, conversation. That's because we've never done an entire episode dedicated to this topic. Yeah. To Tell them what it is. <laughs> open relationships and non-monogamy, yeah. which I guess is kind of one and the same. But Our guest today will explain that. Yes. We welcome... Jace Lindgren. And Jace is definitely the person to talk about it because he is in a non-monogamous relationship himself and is a non-monogamous dating coach, healthy masculinity educator, and sex positivity advocate. He is trained in positive psychology, emotional freedom technique, consent education, and Buddhist mindfulness practice and also a host on the Multi Amory podcast. Which if you guys have not listened to, you should really check it out. It not only has topics on open relationships, but really all types of love. So Chase and I have been really digging the uh, episodes recently and learning a lot. Yeah. And we just dig into all about non-monogamy, what it is. If you're familiar with it, you can maybe skip forward to about the 10 minute mark and then we really dive into the details. But the beginning, Jace lays the foundation for the different forms of non-monogamy. And then we talk about how to approach it, how to think about it. And even if you are monogamous, you're listening to this, you're like, I want nothing to do with that. We encourage you to listen because there will be some things that you'll learn and be able to apply to your monogamous relationship. And as always, thank you guys for tuning in, subscribing, telling your friends and family, joining our Love Tribe group on Facebook. We really appreciate you guys. That's really just designed to be a support group. People can share their stories, get support. Um, Sarah and I, Sarah, was in there the other day. We don't do a whole lot of of uh, interaction. Feedback or comments. Yeah, because, you know, we're we're just kind of learning ourselves and and we're not trained therapists to give, you know, professional advice. So it's more of a, a place for you guys to network. And that's really a positive thing if you can even just sharing kind of the struggles you're having and seeing that other people are having those same struggles. Um we uh, we think it's a valuable thing. And if you have not checked out our website recently, please do so. We have our 14-day free Happy Couple Challenge, which is a great resource to kind of reignite the passion and love in your relationship. We send you a daily email for two weeks and it's really fun. So we encourage you to check that out. And then we also have the link to our online course, Spark My Relationship, which we haven't talked about in a while, but yeah, it's a great resource if you're looking to really spark your relationship. Spark your relationship. <laughs> no, go into a, a committed course. It's a it's a 12-week course that we've teamed up with and worked with over 16 therapists to create this course. And it's a, on a wide range of relationship issues from detoxing, bad habits to communication to sexuality. And then the last course is on uh, mindful living with your partner. So creating these rituals and these new practices that you can put into your relationship for a successful, uh, lasting relationship with your partner. 
And our listeners get a special, special offer. Yes. Yep. If you go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock, you can get a hundred dollars off the course. And there's always that 30 day money back guarantee. So check it out for 30 days. If you're not loving it, we'll happily refund you. But we've had some amazing feedback from our listeners and from everybody who has done the course and, and they really love it. So we hope you check it out. Enjoy today's show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Jace. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jace, today we're going to do a deep dive on non-monogamy. And as we've told our listeners in the pre-show you are well-versed in it as a coach and a um, practitioner yourself and also a podcast host where you guys talk about all forms of, of love and relationship and non-monogamy being a big part of it. And we're really yeah. excited to dive into it. So could you tell us a little bit about maybe how you got into non-monogamy yourself and then working with people professionally? Sure. Yeah. Let me try to give the, the briefest possible version of the, the life story leading up to that. Um, so I guess the quick background about me is that I started from a place of growing up uh, Christian and I was saving myself for marriage. Uh, all of that all through um, college is when I started really questioning some of those things. And for me in college, my senior year, I read the book Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, by Heinlein. And honestly, the book is uh, somewhat problematic when you read it today, because it was written in the 60s or something like that, or the 40s even, I forget now. Um, but part of it talks about jealousy. And there's this part in the book where one of the characters, um, one of the characters, sort of this religion has sprung up around him. And as part of that, everyone in it is non-monogamous. And there's a point where he's talking to a friend of his who's not part of that and says, oh, hey, you know, my girlfriend, I know that you really like her and I know she likes you. Why don't you guys go on a date and be together? And the friend responds with this, like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought you loved her. He's like, yeah, of course I do. And loving someone means that their happiness is intrinsic to your happiness. So why would I want to stop her from doing something I know would make her happy? Uh, you know, that's that that wouldn't be love at all. And for me, it was it just hit me at the right time in my life, where it was that like <laughs> mind blowing kind of moment. And I went, I would say, almost overnight from being someone who I would self identify as a jealous person to not. Like somehow that just hit me at the right time. Uh, and then it was still, you know, another probably almost 10 years after that till I discovered polyamory and that there were actual resources and people doing research and people teaching, you know, how to 
really embrace that kind of, um, uh, you know, having multiple relationships and doing it in a healthy way and a sustainable way. Uh, you know, it's a lot of years till I discovered that, but that was kind of the start of that. And then once discovering polyamory, um, I ended up creating the podcast with two partners of mine at the time. Uh, the three of us are not all in a relationship now, but we still do the podcast together. Um, but we started doing that because uh, we realized within the podcast world, there weren't a lot of resources and especially not, of, not a lot of resources for people who were a little bit younger. Kind of the only other podcasts out there were people who are sort of in the first wave of polyamorous people and things were changing. And so we wanted to do something that stayed a little more current. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that personal story. And we're going to dive in and talk about the different forms of non-monogamy. And then we have a lot of questions for you. So yeah, maybe totally. can you tell us just a, a basic, uh, obviously each one could be its whole episode, but maybe give us a basic um, uh, foundation for the different forms of non-monogamy. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> all right. So I guess, first of all, just terminology wise, like non-monogamy is the big umbrella term that covers anything that's not monogamy, right? So, so right on the name. And uh, um, basically that covers everything from people who, uh, you know, are swingers, which honestly swinging is a term that's kind of fallen out of popularity a little bit, uh, at least in a lot of groups. It's now sometimes called lifestyle or people just call it non-monogamy or maybe open relationships. Those, those definitions are sometimes a little bit loose of exactly what they mean, but generally what ties those all together is that it's still built around couples who are mostly monogamous, tend to be married or at least headed that direction, who will have sex with other people. Uh, and there's different ways that that's done. Either that's, you know, there might be uh, relationships where they say we're going to have sex with other people, but only together with, you know, the two of us and one other or two other people, or maybe we only find other couples and we'll swap partners for a night or, you know, whatever, there's different ways that it can go, but those tend to be based around realizing that they have an interest in having sex with other people. And, uh, there's been a lot of research saying that, that, uh, when, when done in an ethical way, you know, when both parties are on board, that actually swinging um, has been shown to have a very positive effect on the intimacy and closeness and the sexual chemistry of the, the people in the couple who decide to do that. Um, and then uh, a slightly different from that, but a little related is polyamory is the most common term. So I think that's the one we'll use. And basically the difference in polyamory is that in addition to having other sexual relationships, you also have other romantic relationships. And in polyamory, usually for the, for the vast majority, and this goes against what the media wants you to believe, but the vast majority of polyamorous relationships are not a couple dating a third. Uh, even though that's what the only thing you see in the media, really. Uh, the vast majority of it is, for example, you have a partner and you also have someone else you date or maybe a couple other people you date and they have other people they date. And you probably know their partners and maybe your friends and maybe sometimes you'll all hang out socially. But for the most part, 
they're more like these interconnected dyads, right? These interconnected two-person relationships for the most part. There are the occasional three-person relationships, which we tend to call triads, not throuples. I hate that word. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then quads, which are you know four people. And um, once you get into more than that, there's not really terms for those. But those tend to be much, much less common. I mean, honestly, triads even are not as common as, as people want you to believe when they're trying to you know, sell a titillating news article. Um, and then I guess just to kind of say those are kind of the, the main categories is kind of that open slash swinging and then polyamory involving romantic relationships. But there is a lot of other stuff out there. Um, one of the things that's really cool about the world of non-monogamy is that it allows accommodating a lot more relationship types and sexualities. Uh, for example, um, the polyamory community actually has a fairly significant asexual presence. And I think when people tend to think of polyamory or non-monogamy, they think, oh, it's just all about people who are sex crazed. And the asexual community actually really appreciates it because if you're someone who is asexual, who like really you don't have a desire for sex at all, um, that often you're presented with the situation of, oh, I like this person. I, I like being romantic with this person. I love this person. But if they were to be with me monogamously, I know that they would have to give up having sex ever because that's not something that I can give them. Uh, and so polyamory is a way to be able to have those relationships without having to say, and you have to give up ever doing this thing that I know is important to you, even though it's something that I can't, I can't do. Um, uh, anyway, so that's just sort of an example, but there's a whole range of different um, different ways that non-monogamy can show up and sort of be customized. Um, relationship anarchy is another term that's grown in popularity a little bit in the last few years for kind of just deconstructing the whole thing. And instead, every relationship you have with anyone, you get to negotiate that rather than it having to fit into these predefined boxes of this one's romantic and sexual, this one's just sexual, this one's just a friend, that it kind of blurs those lines by saying you and that other person, you get to decide what that is, right? Like we're going to raise kids together, but we're just friends. Or we're going to say we're going to live together, uh, but we're, you know, not sexual or romantic at all, uh, but we're really committed to being that presence in each other's lives. So I guess. The short answer to your question is there's just a ton and that's what's cool about it is you really get to customize it and find what works for you and the people in your life. So in the very beginning, when you first started talking about the different types, you set a line that was that said couples being interested in having sex with other people. And for mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners, that could have just blown their mind. Like, you know, <laughs> they're just like, what? You know, because we really have not had a lot of topics on our show about non-monogamy. So I guess a good place to start would be one for people who maybe have never even discussed the idea of non-monogamy in a relationship with their partner, where to start. Um, yeah, let's go. Let's start there. Where where can somebody start if they just heard that and they're like, wow, this is an option that could maybe benefit our relationship? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I, I want to say first, first thing to keep in mind is that any way that you choose to do your relationship and whatever it is that you want, 
uh, is okay. And doing relationships ethically, where you're being honest with the people in your life and you're not manipulating or tricking or coercing anyone in your life, as long as you're not doing those things, I just kind of want to reassure people that whatever you want is okay. And whatever you do is okay, as long as you're keeping those things in mind. And I say that because as you go into trying to research this, because non-monogamous people often have it thrown in their face that, oh, what you're doing is so unnatural. Uh, You know, this is an abomination. This is terrible. You're destroying the, the fabric of families or whatever. In response to that, particularly when people are earlier on in discovering it, they can tend to swing the other way kind of as a defense into going like, well, look at all this research that shows actually monogamy is not natural or that people are meant to be polyamorous or they're meant to, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're meant to have group sex. We were never meant to couple up, you know, all these things that can sort of swing back the other way. And I just kind of want to reassure people that, Either one is okay, <laughs> and uh, that that debate over what's natural is actually, I think, not a very helpful one, because, um, you know, violence is also natural, but I at least don't think that that's a good solution to our problems and not a natural instinct that we should indulge. Um, racism is natural, according to some scientists, and I don't think that that's a good thing either. So I wish we would kind of move away from the argument about whether something's natural or not. And instead, look at whatever we're doing, how can we be doing it ethically uh, and kind of looking at that effect. Um, But with that, there's so much stuff online. Uh, I mean, maybe it sounds selfish, but I would say check out our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Check out Multiamory. Because we're one of the few places that does try to cover a range of things um, that a lot of the other resources out there will tend to be like, this is just for swingers, or this is just for polyamorous people, or this is just for queer relationship anarchists or something like that, that we really do try hard to cover that range. Um, But other than that, I mean, there's a ton of books out there. There's the Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, which I really recommend. Um, more than two is good if you like reading sort of dictionary-sized, very thorough books about it. Mm. If you're interested in some of the science about it, also there's a book called Sex at Dawn um, that is really interesting. And that was kind of one of my intros to thinking about non-monogamy. And that one's kind of more, a little drier, a little bit more from a scientific point of view, kind of questioning the idea that monogamy is natural, like I was talking about before. So take it all with a grain of salt understand where it's coming from. So how do you think about non-monogamy in the context of culture and how we live in, in the West and a lot of other countries, probably everywhere, monogamy is the de facto. I know there, there are areas where it's not, and, and from mm-hmm. an anthropological perspective, it's very interesting. But yeah. to me... The appeal of learning about it, I've mentioned on the show before, I was an anthropology major. So I love looking at other cultures or just looking at other ways people do things, whether that's relationship or just living their life in general. And we have this huge area of our lives, relationships, Mm -hmm. and the dominant narrative around that is 
this is how it's supposed to look. Not even talking about monogamy and non-monogamy, but just like the the perfect relationship, you know? And wow, I just yeah, think it's so yeah. interesting to deconstruct these cultural memes that we have, whether it's like Sarah and I live in Costa Rica. That's counterculture. Like you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to live in a house <laughs> with a picket fence. And so all, all of these things. And I think we have this big area of our lives, relationships and with the work that you guys are doing and information being more widely available that now it seems like people are rethinking that. And that's where, you know, not even non-monogamy, but just rethinking the way we do monogamy in a way. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I think you just said it right there at the end. Uh, and that's something that that we've gotten as feedback on our podcast quite a bit. And also just people I know personally who maybe have tried uh, doing polyamory for a little while or or even who just were really fascinated with the idea of it, but never actually decided to do it themselves. Um, you know, or people who did it for a little bit and said, you know what, actually monogamy feels more comfortable for me. That's more what I want. Uh, but that the skills that they learned from, from thinking about and being in a space where you can't take anything for granted, that you don't just assume that, oh, now that we're committed or now that we're married or now that we're engaged, it means this whole list of things. Um, because we all do kind of carry that with us, right? We carry with us this, this certain baggage that, oh, well, a marriage means these things. And if you ask a hundred different people what exactly it means, you're going to get a hundred different answers. But most people think that you don't need to talk about it, right? Because that's, that's what we see in the movies, right? No one ever has to talk about their relationships because when it's right, you just know and you sort of telepathically know everything that the person's <laughs> going to like, or you just happen to find the person that accidentally does all the things that you like. And that in reality, it takes communication and being clear about those things. And so that's one of those skills that I think in polyamory or, or swinging or any kind of non-monogamy, you're sort of forced to learn that skill. And I think in monogamy, the most successful monogamous people do also have that skill. But I think in monogamy, you can get by for a while without it and not kind of realize that that's something that you're missing. So let's talk about some concrete things people can think about if they're coming into this from a traditionally either a monogamous relationship that they're in or that that has been their mindset. So the first thing I want to ask you is, what are some of the questions someone can ask themselves if they are thinking about trying to, you know, be non-monogamous, like how do you know if you're, if that's right for you? What are some questions you can ask? Let's take a break to talk about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Native. Native creates safe, simple, effective deodorants that smell amazing and actually work. We just got back down here to Costa Rica and I literally brought like five native deodorant sticks back with me. So I know that I wouldn't run out and Chase just loves making fun of me for that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like 10 and I'm happy because I'm going to be using them too down here in hot and humid Costa Rica, Sarah's 
tired of smelling me. So she restocked (laughs) and I'm happy for it. And their formula contains simple ingredients that you can understand. So you know everything that's in your deodorant. Native is aluminum free and it's also vegan and never tested on animals. Native has over 10 scents for men and women, including their classic scents, like our personal favorite, the coconut and vanilla. Smells so good. Plus rotating seasonal scents, so you are guaranteed to find a scent that you love. And they also offer an unscented formula and a baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities. Try Native risk-free with free returns and exchanges in the U.S. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code IDO20 during checkout. That's nativedeodorant.com and use promo code IDO20 at checkout. Today's episode is also brought to you by Atlantis. All right, Love Tribe, there has got to be a significant portion of you who are planning and dreaming of a Bahamas destination wedding, right? I am. We can (laughs) renew our vows there. Ah, there you go. Well, you need to check out Atlantis. They have more than 15 unique wedding and reception venues from an elegant ballroom reception to an oceanside gathering under the stars. I like that one. Mm, It's so easy to imagine your dream wedding coming to life at Atlantis. Atlantis offers seven different packages to choose from, starting with just the basics to a full production of the wedding. And each couple has their own dedicated wedding and events specialist that is on site and helps couples customize their special day preferences. Atlantis is a unique ocean-themed resort that offers a variety of accommodation choices, from the relaxed tropical ambiance of the beach and coral hotels to the iconic royal the contemporary comfort of the reef, or the sheer luxury of the all-sweet style at the Cove. So many to choose from. There's literally got to be one style that will fit each couple here at Atlantis. And from the little kids all the way to the grandparents, there is something to do on the property for the whole family. There's a casino, a aquaventure water park, a spa where the bride can treat herself and all the ladies in her wedding party, a 18-hole golf course, marine life experiences, a fitness center, movie theater, 21 restaurants, and so much more. So much to do. It's like a little city <laughs> yeah, built for your wedding. Yes. <laughs> and traveling to Atlantis for you and your guests is a breeze. There are daily nonstop flights from most major U.S. cities. Check out Atlantis bahamas.com to learn more and please make sure to mention i do podcast to receive the best room rates and up to 10 percent off your wedding package again that's atlantis bahamas.com and mention i do podcast tell them chase and sarah sent you to receive 10 percent off your wedding package Gosh, it's a tough one because I think that the people who are asking that question might already know that answer a little bit more than than they think (laughs) they do. Um, To be honest, it's I would say to just start questioning, trying to get to the root of all of the things that you've thought about relationships and about love to just question all the things you've never questioned and see what kinds of answers you come up with uh, and realize that'll, that'll keep changing. But just there's so much of relationships that 
is sort of fed to us that we never question, we never think about, we never think that we should or can think about these things. And I think just doing that is is hugely powerful, regardless of what type of relationship you end up doing. Um, just questioning that, asking those questions. Like, for example, uh, one of the questions that came up for me was, huh, okay, so if my partner was with someone else, whether that's, you know, sexually or emotionally or whatever, if they were with someone else, how would I really feel about that? And not how would I feel because of how I think I should feel or how would I feel because how I think other people might think of me, but how would I actually feel about that? Maybe that, maybe that'd be more okay than I would have considered it because I've never questioned it before. Right. Um, and I think that um, another sort of lens to look at it through is um, looking at it through the lens of equality with your partner and kind of asking questions of what in my relationship might I be holding a double standard for my partner and myself. Um, and I think that those can come up in lots of little ways. Uh, I hope it's okay to talk about sex a little bit on this show. Please. Um, (laughs) but this one I find uh, comes up a lot in sex in an unquestioned way. And I won't go into Specifics here, I don't think we need to because everyone's got their own things. But um, like the example of there's this thing, I really like it uh, that you do when we have sex, but I wouldn't do the equivalent of that because that'd be gross, right? Or I'm okay with this fluid being on you, but like it's gross if it touches me. Or right, these things like that we don't even question Mm -hmm. that there's sort of, we're already putting a double standard there or we're already kind of, not treating our partner as as much of an equal as we might say that we are. And so those are kind of the things to sort of question and go, hmm, what's that about? Maybe maybe there's something I need to examine about myself. Maybe some things that I've believed just because I thought those things were normal or just because someone else believed that at one point and I never questioned it. Um, so I think that's kind of a good starting place to just start asking questions of yourself of like, where did these thoughts come from? Where did these beliefs come from? Might I feel differently? Might I be able to feel differently? And I find that as you start pulling at those threads, more starts to unravel, like something that you might think like, no, there's no way I could change on that. Once you start questioning some things around it, it might free you up to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, actually, now I feel super cool about this thing that felt very threatening before. So once somebody starts asking themselves those questions and then maybe brings it into the relationship and starts that dialogue with their partner. Have you ever worked with any couples where one person in the, in the relationship is completely opposed to non-monogamy and then how would they successfully have those conversations around the whole concept of like, they're not enough or jealousy or all those you know, big things that can arise when someone tells their partner that they're interested in dating or, you know, having a relationship with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. That, that does happen. Um, and it's hard. And the thing is that there's not some magic bullet way of convincing someone because as I was kind of saying before, neither way is inherently right. 
you know, of non-monogamy or monogamy or any of the various flavors of either, neither one is inherently right. So it's not about like, oh, I just need to convince them enough or give them enough information that they'll come around. And that's not to say people don't change their minds because people absolutely do. And I've known people who, when they first heard about it, were very resistant to non-monogamy, who years later are you know, someone who's polyamorous and kind of like a pillar of that community in their area. And so that absolutely can happen. But um, yeah, it's, I think that it's just like any other fundamental relationship thing. So like, for example, say you're in a relationship and you really want to get married, but the person that you're in love with is very against ever getting married or having kids and they don't want kids, you know, whatever it is that neither of you is wrong. Neither of you is a bad person for wanting that thing. And maybe you love each other a lot, but at the end of the day, it is also possible that, you know, those, those two things are just not reconcilable, right? And that that just might not work out. And I think those things, it sucks when it happens, <laughs> but I think people at least understand that's like, okay, yeah, if you really, really want kids, you do need to be with someone else who really wants kids too. Um, and with non-monogamy, it's the same thing. If, if you start learning about it and it's like, yes, this really makes sense. Like this feels right to me. It's not going to be good with someone who doesn't want it. So let's say there's some listeners out there. They have a conversation with their partner and both are on board. Mm-hmm. What next? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely recommend uh, finding some resources, right? Like listening to podcasts and reading some books and talking about them together before you run out and do anything. Um, I do recommend that just because, because there's just so much baggage and so much conditioning and so much stuff that our movies and our books and our media have taught us about how relationships go. And even unfortunately now, well, fortunately slash unfortunately, um, a lot of not great things that it's taught us about how polyamory or swinging or non-monogamy works, which in reality doesn't work that way. So I definitely recommend um, trying to learn a little bit and discussing it with each other. But something that I think is really important is also finding a sense of community. And that means uh, meetup.com is a great place for that. Online communities are good. There's a ton of Facebook groups for it. Um, you know, we, we have a private community for our podcast that's been helpful because some people are kind of afraid of joining a Facebook group about this if they're worried about people finding out or judging them for it. Um, so there's some private groups out there like ours. Um, but I actually, if you can find an in-person one, I highly recommend that. Um, and, you know, meetup is a good place for it, but also just searching online for it and specifically find a meetup and go to it, not with the intention of finding people to hook up with right away or to date right away, but just to be like, we want to meet other people who are doing this and kind of learn about it and see the different ways people do it and which ones feel good to us and which ones feel like, Ooh, yeah. I didn't even consider that that might be kind of weird if we did it that way, right? It's just kind of like 
we've had our whole lives to see different types of monogamous relationships and get to see which ones feel right to us and which ones don't. And with non-monogamy, we need more of that. We need those role models. We need those, uh, I guess, like anti-role models. <laughs> People who are like, let's not do what they're doing. Uh, you know, we, we need that. And so finding an in-person community is super helpful. All right. So we got our community. We've done a lot of research, read some books, yeah. listened to multi-amory. We're ready to go on the first date, what do we need to have in place? What are some specific things that uh, might be landmines? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I would say that, well, one thing, one thing to keep in mind first is you said we're about to go on a first date. And since I don't exactly know what you mean by that, I do want to clarify again that um, a lot of people, their starting point is thinking, oh, yeah, the two of us will find some hot bi babe to date, um, which are called unicorns, is the sort of community term for bisexual women who are attracted to both parties of a heterosexual relationship are referred to as unicorns because they're so rare. Um, and the term unicorn hunters is used for those couples looking for them. And generally, uh, that's a a, a derogatory term. If someone calls you a unicorn hunter, that's a bad thing. And it means that you're probably doing something that seems predatory or um, just basically not great. Mm. Uh, so be, be aware of that. Unicorn hunter is not a thing you want to be. Um, but okay, so what I would say is even if the two of you are going to go on a date with one person together, it, it does happen. And it does happen sometimes. It's like I said, not actually how a lot of polyamorous people do their relationships, but it does happen sometimes. If you're doing that though, I want you to stop and do a litmus test first. And that is, would I be okay with my partner going on a date with this person by themselves without me? And if your answer is no for that, I don't think you're ready yet. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, now, either way, if you're going on this date together or you're going on a date individually. You know, one of you is going out on your first date with someone else. Maybe it's a friend you've known for a while. And that's just to realize that whatever you're feeling during this time, during this first experience, it's going to change as you get more experience. And I'm speaking specifically to the person who is uh, left behind. So say your partner's going out for the first time on a date without you. And that person who's left at home can often, the first times this happens, just feel all those feelings of panic come up, right? Like, oh gosh, I'm not enough. Oh gosh, they're going to love this person and they're going to want to be with them and not me. Or oh, their sex is going to be so good that they'll never want to have sex with me again. Or, you know, all these things. And we're as humans, we're, we're terrible at this, right? We just spin ourselves out of all these, all these thoughts. Um, and I would just say like to take comfort in the fact that there will eventually come a time where when your partner goes out on dates, it's like, ah, oh, thank God they're going on another date. I love this time I get to myself <laughs> to do other things. And I, like, I've, I've really come a long way in that where now when my partner goes out on a date, it's like, oh yes. Awesome. I'm so excited. I get to watch, you know, whatever it is, like the, the 
action movies that she, she never wants to watch. And I get to watch them on the living room TV or, you know, or I get to play video games all night or like, Hey, I'm going to go out and meet up with my friends. Cause that's something I keep not making time to do. Like, Oh, that's great. Now I have an excuse to go do that. Uh, whatever it is. So I just take some comfort in knowing that. And then the other is just when you start out, you're going to talk a ton it's going to feel like your full-time job is talking, is communicating now. Uh, and that also won't last forever. Eventually, things will get more comfortable. But for the first many months, maybe even the first year, you're going to do a lot of talking, right? A lot of sort of processing and talking and figuring things out because it is all new, unfortunately. So for me, what comes up when you're saying all this is like time, like how does anybody have time for, I mean, I just think of myself and we have a four-year-old and then we have our relationship and work and how do people in open relationships manage their time properly? Yeah, absolutely. Time, time management's a big one, right? Love is infinite, but time is not. Um, yeah, well, okay. First of all, I think a common misconception people have about polyamory specifically where you're having other romantic relationships i think i think with swinging and open relationships people maybe get it a little more where it's like okay yeah occasionally have time to hook up with people yeah okay i can make time for that but when you think about having a whole other romantic relationship people people take what they've done in their life monogamously and then they multiply that by two or three and they go what (laughs) there's no way i could do that um but Part of it that, that comes with it is that these relationships aren't all going to look the same way. Like within the monogamous dating world, when we start dating someone new and we're into them and we start developing feelings, what I think most of us do, I know I, know I did for most of my life and I think a lot of people do, is that suddenly every spare second of your life belongs to that person, right? Like you're just always together. Every every time you're not at work, you're together, mm-hmm. right? That, that we tend to do this, this thing where we just sort of um, glom onto each other. And then when you think about trying to multiply that by two, it's just like, well, how? That's not possible. There's not those hours. And within non-monogamy, it can look different than that. Um, for example, say in your case, where the two of you are married and you have a kid and you have a business and like, I get it. That's a lot of stuff. For you, maybe having another relationship would be something a little more casual. Maybe that would be, um, and you know, maybe it is a romantic relationship that you're having, but maybe we only see each other once a month, for example. Uh, There's a term that's used in the polyamory world called a comet, which is like a person who, usually it's someone who doesn't necessarily live in the same place as you, but maybe they're in town like twice a year for business, uh, that they're a comet, right? So they only come around every now and then. But when they do, you have this great connection with each other and you feel strongly about each other. And maybe you stay in touch while you're apart, but it's not that kind of super intense. It's just, it's great. And then it's intense while we're together. And when we're not, that's also okay. Um, maybe something like that or... Or, you know, even if it is someone who's local, but maybe someone else who also has a lot of other commitments in their life, whether that's relationships or just work or kids or whatever, um, that you can find that, right? That it doesn't all have to look one way. 
Or another example would be that maybe none of your relationships would be as intertwined as the one you two have now, right? That maybe, you know, in part of it, like the two of you might spend less time together, but also spending time with other people that maybe that's what works for you. Um, And I know that 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 way of doing things is something I particularly enjoy where I don't have any partners who have the expectation that every single night of the week they get to see me. Um, And I don't expect that of them either. Um, But they also either have other partners or other friends or other things going on in their life uh, that we don't need that. And for us, we find it actually um, brings us closer. It makes it so when we do get to have time together, it's kind of more special, like that quality over quantity kind of thing. Uh, so there's lots of different ways that that can look. And it's just finding what's right for you and, and then finding people who that also works for. Can you talk a little bit about new relationship energy and yeah. how you can bring that back into if we're talking about a primary relationship? Uh, sure. What do you mean exactly? Uh, well, just the benefits of new relationship energy, um, mm. obviously, like personally. And then if you let's say it's a married couple who opens up their marriage how they can bring that energy back to the marriage. Yeah. Um, gosh, I feel like new relationship energy is there's, there's two sides to it. There's this one really exciting side that when you start feeling that with someone new, that you do get to kind of bring some of that energy back with you to your existing relationship. Um, and at the same time, new relationship energy can be very challenging because your body's secreting all of these chemicals and these hormones and it's suppressing other ones to kind of really try to foster connection in that relationship. And sometimes to the person outside of that, that can feel like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm left out. And it can, to the person feeling it can be a little bit of a crazy time, right? If we, if we think back to times when we've been in that kind of falling in love, NRE new relationship energy phase of a relationship, uh, it's intense and, and not always in a good way, right? Sometimes there's that feeling of like addiction of like, I, I have to see them again. I have to see them again. I'm freaking out that I'm not with them now. So it's, it's both, right? It's something that can be really enjoyed. Um, but it's also something to be aware of that it is very real. And it's not just, <laughs> I want to say it's not all in your head. Uh, I mean, it is, but it, but like literally it's chemicals going on. It's, it's biological processes happening. So it's not just something that you can kind of go, Oh no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Um, but just being aware that it's real and enjoying those feelings and realizing what they are, I think is, is the coolest thing. Cause then you can have more control over how you deal with it. And it's like, I'm going to come home with this energy. Like for example, the first relationship I was in when we opened up our relationship who's uh, one of my co-hosts on the podcast. Uh, like I said, we're the two of us are not in a romantic relationship anymore, um, but we were when we started the podcast. And when we had first opened up our relationship, she had that experience the first time that she went and uh, spent the night with someone else. And this was a few months into it. Like She hadn't had very good luck dating at first, uh, whereas I had had better luck and that that was hard for her that had been frustrating and we'd kind of been like, I don't know, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe she isn't okay with this. But uh, a few months down the line, she finally was like, Hey, actually there's someone I'm interested in. I'm going to go spend the night with him. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go for it. Do it. 
And she went and did that. And for her, it was like a different, a different person in a good way, a different person <laughs> walked in the door the next day and she was like, Oh my gosh, I get it now. Like, that was awesome. It felt great, but like, I'm super into you. And it like really made me enjoy all the things about you, but I also enjoyed that. It was great. And I finally get it. And so for her, it was that kind of like light bulb moment of getting to bring home that excitement of having a new relationship while also getting to have the stability in that like really close friendship and, you know, more uh, like established partner relationship that we already had. How do you talk about how much to share with your other partners? So for example, that situation, your partner coming home, they probably want to share this experience. They're excited. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you navigate those conversations? Yeah, it, it's something that people do a lot of different ways. And the two of you definitely need to talk about that. And I guess I shouldn't say the two of you, but with all of your partners, you should talk about that. And what I mean is this, for some people, it's like when their partner comes home from a date, I, they would love to hear all of the details. They want to know like, how many orgasms did you have? What positions did you do? Like all, they want to hear all the details because that's for them, that's exciting. Uh, and for other people, uh, like myself, it's more like, did you have a good time? Did, did you feel good and safe? Like, cool. Great. That's, that's all I need to know. I don't want to, I don't want to know the details really. Right. Um, and you can be kind of anywhere in that spectrum. What I, what I don't recommend is doing, um, don't ask, don't tell is what it's called, uh, where you just try to, where, what people will do is they'll think, okay, I don't really want to know to the point of like, I don't even want to know that you had sex with someone else at all. Or maybe even, I don't even want to know that you went on a date. Just like, tell me you're hanging out with friends and then go on the date. And the problem is it starts to get into this realm of feeling like cheating. And even if it doesn't to you, it probably will to the other people you're dating. And it's just not a good scene. So I would really recommend steering away from that. Um, but the other thing I wanted to share real quick is when it comes to sharing is be sure that you're also communicating with the other people you're dating about how much you intend to share with your partner and find out from them how much they're okay with. Right? Because there are other people involved who have their own agency and their own privacy to consider. And I think usually when people in a long-term established relationship first start opening up or first start being polyamorous, they forget that. They forget that other people don't necessarily consent to having every intimate detail of their body or of what they do in sex or, or things they share with you about their life, that they're not necessarily consenting to that also being shared with your other partner or partners. So that's a conversation to have too and find out from them what they're okay with. Well, Jace, before we wrap up, and you obviously have 200 plus episodes on these topics, so there's so much <laughs> yeah. we can go into. But uh, last thing I want to ask you is, do you work with people, uh, married people that have kids, or they don't have to be married, but couples with kids that are in open relationships and how do they navigate that? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, there's a, there's a huge amount of the polyamorous world of people who are married with kids. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> how do you navigate that? I actually would recommend people um, check out uh, a couple books by Dr. Eli Sheff, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff. 
She has two books. One's called Stories from the Polycule, and the other's called The Polyamorists Next Door. And she is a researcher who has spent the last, gosh, 10, 15, 20 years or something uh, doing kind of case studies of different polyamorous families with kids, specifically, um, and writing about writing about those. Um, and so that's her blog is also great. Um, Dr. Eli Sheff, she writes for, uh, I think, Psychology Today. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, you can look her up and, and find her stuff. Um, but uh, she's a good resource for seeing more of that. But also just understanding that um, in the same way that people in the past would think like, oh, a child could never grow up to be healthy with gay parents. Um, people do have some of those beliefs about polyamorous parents, um, and neither of those are true, right? <laughs> that kids grow up very healthy with polyamorous parents, just like they do with same-sex parents. Um, and actually, statistically speaking, from the little bit of research that's out there, we're actually doing a study within this next year that will hopefully give more research uh, to back this up, specifically about children in polyamorous relationships. Uh, but um, so far, the study seems to indicate that actually children in polyamorous families do even better because they're taught more about communication about honest communication um, and the fact that they potentially have more adults in their life to help them with like homework. If you think about that, it's like, well, uh, you know, my dad is a writer and so I can go to him for my English homework. And, you know, my mom is a chemist and so I can talk to her about that. And then mom's boyfriend is a veterinarian. So I can go talk to him about my biology course. And then, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's potentially more adults who can help support this child in their upbringing, right? That it's it's only a, it's only a relatively recent thing in human history that we've tried raising kids with only two people or one person by themselves, right? That yeah. in the past it would be raised by the whole village or our extended family, and we don't do that anymore. And I think almost polyamory can sometimes feel like going back to that a little bit, and maybe taking some of the burden off of parents, which. Our society, at least here in the U.S., does a shit job of supporting parents. Uh, And so I actually think this is one way to kind of get some of that support that we're not given through society at large. Makes a lot of sense. And I I lied. I got one more question for you before before (laughs) we go. It's just kind of to leave us with where you see this going, you know, in 10, Mm. 15, 20 years um, as someone on the ground floor, kind of in the community um, with these different kinds of relationships? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, um, I look toward what what I've seen happen, you know, during my lifetime so far with, uh, you know, with the same sex movement, with LGBTQIA movement. Um, <clears throat> I look toward that because I feel like that has been talked about for longer. And I also look to that because uh, when you look at studies about non-monogamy and polyamory, uh, the numbers are pretty similar, actually, that the number of people who are currently in non-monogamous relationships is about the same percentage of people who are gay or bi, according to national polls. Um, So I think we're looking at similar kind of sizes of, of, 
the population, similar numbers of the population. And I think that that will keep growing. And where I think we're going to move toward is I don't think we're ever going to end up in a society where everyone's polyamorous. Um, I think that that would be bad in the same way that a society where everyone has to be monogamous, I don't think is healthy. But I think we will see, especially as this younger generation is growing up, just a little more flexibility. It's a little more of a feeling that people can find what's right for them and do that and don't have to fall under some specific label or some specific established way of doing things. And I think we're already seeing that in the way that young people treat things like gender and sexuality in a way that's much less strict than even myself. And I'm, I'm 37. Um, but that, uh, you know, when I look at my younger siblings, even like they grew up in just a, a world where there's more options and a little less shame about some of those things. And I know that's not true everywhere. Uh, but I think just as an overall trend, we're moving that direction. And I hope that that's true with relationship styles as well. Well, keep on doing the great work that you guys <laughs> yeah. are doing and educating the public. And um, I encourage our listeners to check out your podcast. If you want to leave our listeners with that information where they can find you online and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, so the podcast is Multi Amory and you can... Go to multiamory.com or you can type multiamory into any of your, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast, type multiamory into that and you'll find it there. Uh, and from our site, you can find all our, our links to social media and all those things. So basically, wherever you search, search multiamory and you'll find us. Perfect. And we'll have all the links on our website and in the podcast description. And awesome. uh, yeah, thank you again for joining us on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hi guys, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, we also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, we encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, the group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week